Just as a, a brief note to start, you know, the, Jesus says in the gospel today, you know, wherever two or three agree on anything that, uh, on anything for which to pray for, it shall be granted them. And I would note that, you know, last night and this morning, the weather prediction was there would be uh, very likely storms uh, at this time. Uh, so I texted Carly and I said, hey, let's pray for good weather. Jesus said it. I was like, you know, this is the perfect opportunity. So here we go. And that's why we're here today. Prayers, prayers answered. But that's, uh, that's not what I want to focus on for my homily today. I want to focus on a particular work of uh, mercy. You know, the works of mercy, in a way, are, are what characterize the Christian moral life. And mercy, says St. Thomas Aquinas, is a heartfelt sorrow at our neighbor's distress that moves us to help them as we can. Heartfelt sorrow at our neighbor's distress that moves us to help them. And because we as human beings are body and soul, we have needs of body and soul. And so works of mercy can be corporal works of mercy, taking care of the body, or spiritual works of mercy. And one of the spiritual works of mercy is admonishing the sinner. You know, from the Latin, which means to warn. To warn somebody that, that they're in, in danger. You know, and this is something that, you know, I think we uh, can, should be able to count on, on our friends for. I, I saw a cartoon once that sort of compared us as kids to us as adult, guys as kids and guys as adults. You know, they said, you know, when you're six years old and somebody points out the fact that your zipper's down, it's your enemies to make fun of you. But when you're like 40 and a guy friend points out your zipper's down, it's because they care about you and they don't want you to embarrass yourself. You know, so it's this, it's this warning. It's like, hey, watch it, you know, X, Y, Z. But that happens for a lot more important things than like public embarrassment because, you know, you're not dressed properly. Um, I mean, it has to do with, with the soul's salvation, with our relationship with God. And so the, the term in Christian moral theology for this is fraternal correction. So it's a correction because someone's going the wrong way and you're like, hey, time to change course here. But it's fraternal from the word frater, brother. So it, it's a brotherly correction. It's not meant as an act of hatred or putting down, but the, the purpose of it, the intention of it, is someone else's good. And this is... A work of mercy and I think it's a very difficult it's a very difficult work of mercy uh, to do and I, I think for a couple of reasons so one just as you know a general statement about about human beings is generally we don't like being wrong and in and especially we don't like other people pointing out that we are wrong because this requires us acknowledging not only do I have to know that I've done something wrong, but now I know that someone else knows that I've done something wrong. And so it's doubly, it's doubly embarrassing. You know, it takes double the humility to accept fraternal correction. And, and, and we all know this, like part of the reluctance of talking to someone about like when they have an issue and, and you know, they need someone to talk to them, but you want it to be someone else's job is because 
instead of accepting a correction in charity and humility, they may bite your head off. I was talking to, uh, <laughs> I was having dinner one night with a bunch of Dominicans, and I was saying, you know, I, I honestly, I honestly try, whether or not I succeed, I try hard to receive criticism well, because I know it's difficult, and I know I don't like giving it, but I, I feel morally compelled to at times. And sometimes that doesn't go well, and you get in big trouble. So I appreciate it when people take the chance of saying something to me. And I said, I think of that line from the Psalms, when the just man rebukes me, I take his rebuke as kindness. It's a beautiful line. When the just man rebukes me, I take his rebuke as kindness. And one of the other Dominicans immediately jumped in and said, oh yeah? Well, when the just man rebukes me, he's taken his life in his hands. <laughs> and if you knew this brother, you'd believe him. Uh, <laughs> but I thought it, it was funny, but it was also like very true. Sometimes people react badly. So that, that's one part of the reluctance of it. But there's, there's, a, second, there's a second problem and another reason that, that we, I think, are reluctant to do it. And that's a reluctance not just simply because I don't want to suffer with this person yelling at me. Um, it's, it's a problem in principle in our society. And, and, and it's this false principle. It's kind of like you know, intellectual virus, if you want to put it that way. And, and the virus is, if you love me, you will support whatever I'm doing. Running an international drug trafficking operation, prostitution, cheating on my homework, whatever, cheating on my girlfriend, Shh, don't tell her. Um, but the, the idea is like, if you love me, you'll support what I'm doing. That that's what oftentimes love means in our society. And it's, it's totally false. Like if, if, you, if you have a Christian vision of yourself and a friendship, like that, that, that never works. But, oh, sorry, okay, I fell down the stairs Monday night when I was going to get my laundry. And so if I turn the wrong way, I sprained my ankle. And so if I turn the wrong way, if you see me suddenly wincing in pain, that's why. Um, sorry, I'm, it's penance for my sins, which are many. Um, but the, the thing is that like, so first of all, as a Christian, if you believe in original sin, you believe that you're affected by it. You know, that, you know, what does that mean? Well, that means I'm not always going to know the truth. Darkening of the intellect is what it's called. Secondly, even if I know the truth, I'm not going to want to live it. Because it's hard. That's called the weakening of the will. And thirdly, I'm going to want pleasure totally out of proportion to what's good for me. And that's called concupiscence. And then I die. And that's the fourth effect of original sin. But the other three, like if you really believe and you see that this is a part of your life and you acknowledge that, you would never expect someone to go along with all your plans because you know some of them are going to be wrong. Some of them are going to be good. You know, we're not... We're not with Luther or Calvin who believed in total depravity, that everything you want is sort of wrong and will be attracted to every kind of vice and repelled by every kind of virtue. It's not what we believe as Catholics. But if you believe honestly that, that you're a sinner, you know some of your plans are not going to be good. 
And that means you're going to expect from your friends, who maybe have more insight in a situation or more moral goodness, that they are going to help steer you in the right direction when you don't have enough sense to see it for yourself or enough strength to carry it out. And I think that that giving and that receiving of that kind of love is part of Christian life and part of Christian friendship. It was really interesting, you know, we've been doing this program called Exodus 90 these past uh, three years, and I won't tell you all about it now, but a, but a big part of it is there's a lot of things that people, you know, take on a lot of penances, you know, lots of fasting and disciplines and cold showers and that sort of fun stuff. Um, and this last year, <clears throat> we made some, some changes in the program here at Hope where we introduced a lot more accountability. And I was nervous at first that people wouldn't like it, they'd be kind of put off. Um, but what I, what I was really struck by is how much people liked it, that they, they wanted to be held accountable, that they wanted people to know when they were succeeding and when they weren't, and to have this sort of clear standard, you know, and to help pull them back. And that was something I encountered just, just this past week, because there's a some of the Exodus 90 people decided to continue to support each other into this year. And one of them transferred out of hope. Um, but he and I talked this week and, and he, he texted the guys in the group and he said, look, you know, one of the things I've, since I've been away from hope, I haven't had that kind of accountability and I need it. You know, and he's asking for it, you know, and, and asking people to step up and be willing to do that. Which is a really humble and beautiful thing. So, and I think that's part of Christian life. So that's on the individual level, you know, which we're kind of talking about here in the, in the first reading, especially, you know. Um, you know, um, if, I tell, if I tell the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade the wicked from his way, the wicked shall die for his guilt but I will hold you responsible for his death. So friends look out for each other, and that's something God expects from us. But then there's this, this broader, broader sort of public sense of correction, which Jesus brings up in the gospel. You know, first of all, you talk privately, then a few witnesses, and then the church. If you won't listen to the church, well, treat them like a, a tax collector or a Gentile. And it, it sounds, uh, frankly, a lot like cancel culture, you know, the Christian version of it. I want to talk about those two things, principally the, you know, the, the most severe kind of reprimand the church can have, which is excommunication, and cancel culture, and, and the similarities and differences between them. So you probably heard that word. How many of you have heard the word excommunication? Okay. How many of you could give a definition of it if, if you had to? Not, okay, so, <laughs> um, very simply, uh, ex excommunication, like the word implies, is where the church, by her judgment, removes someone from union with all the other Christians. So you can't participate in public prayer, the liturgy, you can't participate in the sacraments. Um, when the church prays for herself, not included. And the purpose of excommunication, it, it's called in, in the law of the church, a medicinal penalty. Which means the purpose of excommunication is to get you to be unexcommunicated. 
It's to make you stop doing whatever caused the problem and to be reintegrated into the life of the church. You know, it's, it's this very severe kind of, of warning. But it's meant as a warning. It's never imposed just to sort of be there forever. That's, that's not the hope. And I think in, you know, why, why have this? Why have this? It seems kind of harsh. But here's the reality of our lives. Sin is contagious. You know, normally think we, we think, only think of contagion in terms of being from diseases. But actually it's not true. Lots of social actions are contagious. You know, helping other people is contagious. Manners, good manners can be contagious. Smiling saying hello to people. Like you notice that and as an outsider coming to West Michigan, it's a big change from Chicago. Lots of friendly people and that encourages me. It's like, oh, well, I want to fit in and I want to do what people are doing. They're friendly, they smile, they say hello. All right, I'll do that too. So that can be contagious. Also negative things. Studies have shown divorce is contagious. Suicide is contagious, you know. Could be things as simple as swearing is contagious. People talk about they, they go to work in an environment where, you know, string together the four-letter words and just kind of go into that, you know. Anger is contagious. I got my I was working at uh, an investment bank uh, for a summer, and uh, there's a fair bit of like telling and yell, yelling intention in the office, not necessarily amongst the people, but just sort of in general. Uh, it affected me. You know, I got angry while driving. And so in order to look out for other people, part of the reason is there's this public rebuke. And I think that's part of the idea of cancel culture, that there are, there are bad things in society, you know, bad ideas that harm people, that cause suffering. And we don't want that, you know, and, and we want to, to call that out so it doesn't continue. And so there's an element of justice seeking in that. But there's something, something missing from that process. And I, I want to read you just a little bit from an essay by um, a writer, Andrew Sullivan, um, who I, th I think is a very interesting individual, uh, in a sense, very intellectually honest. Um, uh, yeah, just sort of a very interesting Catholic. Actually, in, in a sense, um, sort of lifelong Catholic. Um, also the guy sort of credited with sort of inventing the idea of gay marriage in the United States. He's this very, you know, so has a very interesting relationship with the church, but I think has some great insights. And here's what, here's what he says about cancel culture. In the woke era, cancellation process is far more brutal. An abject apology from the sinner is required, but just as a starter. If the apology is not a form of complete and utter self-flagellation or fails to meet the standards of woke orthodoxy, you still get canceled. And if you're canceled, you're permanently canceled. At that point, you will have absolutely no support from your peers, whatever you do. Any attempt to revive a career will immediately be suppressed. Whatever you once said clumsily or foolishly will never be forgotten. Any sign of social or career emergence will mean another recitation of your sins, which, thanks to the permanence of the web, will go on forever like some Gregorian chant. 
It may even be that the future woke culture will make your sin look even worse and therefore even less forgivable. And here's what he says. In Christianity, the rules are much kinder. The exposed sinner, even someone who commits a mortal sin, has an instant chance of redemption. Absolution follows. You repent and ask God for forgiveness. And if you start over, it is actually incumbent on other Christians to help you succeed again. And they switch immediately from condemnation to support. The same in recovery. All you have to do is own your addiction and helplessness, make amends, start over day by day. And you will be encouraged, supported, cheered on by your fellows. And I think this kind of brings together these two ideas that are in God and part of his character, but also part of Christian life. One is justice, punishing evil, holding wrongdoers to account, not calling good bad or bad good. And the other side of that is mercy, which is no matter how bad the bad is, and no matter how willful or intentional, that the God who is love is always willing to extend forgiveness. And in fact, gives the grace to allow someone to see that they're wrong and to welcome them back into the relationship. And the church has to do that as well. And the church through her sacraments, through fellow Christians, has to do that. So I think the challenge, the challenge today from our readings is twofold. Challenge number one is to love people enough, to admonish them, to say when they're wrong, to speak the truth in love, to have that courage. And the second challenge is to forgive and to be willing to love them and bring them back to Christ and into our own hearts.